Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience in Allen, Texas or at church1132.com. Tonight, uh, we're going to talk about, we talked about passionate culture, we're going to talk about authentic culture. Authentic culture. That's where we're going to be tonight, and uh, it doesn't sound that exciting, but trust me, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, authentic culture. Now, we're going to talk about this culture is a combination of what you create and a combination of what you allow. You either have culture by design or culture by default, which means that you have a culture. Um, that's it. Uh, that was it. That was my time up. You, you have, I just, you know, you, you, you have a culture, you have a culture about your life and that culture happens either by design or by default. I, I remember, um, going, you know, when I was, a, when I was growing up, you'd go to your friend's house and, uh, if you took a shower at your friend's house, got out of the pool at your friend's house, their towels would have like this smell. And then you associated that smell with their house. And um, some of them were good and some of them were bad. I happened to get a couple bad towels experiences at a couple places that really scarred me. And um, so certain smells remind me of certain people now. Uh, but you were marked by that smell. I'm, I'm going to tell you, you have a smell about you. You have an aroma about you. You have what we could say for, the, for, for this uh, series, you have a culture about you. And that culture happens either by design or by default, which means that you create it or you allow it. And so when we're talking about culture, we're not trying to have a church that is just something that just happens. Church 1132 did not just happen this way. It is by design. So there's a reason we do what we do. There's a reason behind why we do what we do. There is almost, almost anything that we do, you could ask a question why we do it, and we could probably give you an answer why we do it, because we're going to create a culture by design. Now, that doesn't mean that that design is a church for every single person and every single persuasion. And this church is not going to be the right fit for everybody. And that's okay. And I think where the church has gotten in some problems in the past is we've tried to be all things to all men. Paul said he was all things to all men to try to reach some, and he's talking about evangelism. But we've taken that into the church, and we've tried to make our church all things to all men, and we forgot who we are. If you're everything to everyone, then you don't know who you are. And so when we're talking about authenticity, we have to talk about coming back to the brand of who we are. And your brand is what the world gets when they get you. When the world gets Church 1132, that's our brand, what, what they get from us. And we have to know what that is because we're trying to replicate that and duplicate that in our people, in our campuses, in, in, in our leaders, in our groups, because we really believe that there's a pattern that God's given us that is specific to us that we have to be true to. That's why sometimes people come in and they have all kinds of suggestions on how we should run the church and, and how we should change things. And it, it just... I, I appreciate it, um, but because it's deeper, I'll just tell it, say it this way. I'm getting advice from a lot of other people that like study this and do this, um, not by just somebody that has a preference for themselves personally. Because if we start adjusting to personal preferences, we step outside of mission. 
So that's why sometimes it's like we, we try to accommodate people the best that we can, but we can't deviate from the pattern because we believe, and if you're in our Climb Higher series, we believe the pattern is shown to us on the mountain, which means that we get away with God and that God gives us a pattern and then we have to live our lives according to that pattern. And we have a corporate pattern as Church 1132, but you also have a personal pattern that God's given you that you need to live your life by and that you need to abide by, and that is your personal DNA. That's your personal assignment. That is who you are. Your life culture is created either by default or by design. Now, I found this out about culture. I found this out about culture. Uh, I don't know if you ever, if your parents ever told you this, but when I started driving, my dad was like, don't ever pick up hitchhikers. I don't know if you've ever been told that. Um, I thought it would be nice to pick up hitchhikers. You know, they need a ride. I got extra seat. And so I didn't listen to him sometimes, and I did. I like to give people a ride, so, so I'd pick up people. But the reason that they would warn us against it is because oftentimes uh, hitchhikers could be hijackers. And this is what happens with culture, is that things that you allow on and you allow in, you just are trying to accommodate, but the very things that you accommodate could be the thing that hijacks you. So you can't just try to be something, you have to protect what you are. Now this happens both personally and corporately, you've got to protect who you are. You've got to protect your assignment. Do you know if you try to do what I do, you are going to be very miserable. And if I try to do what you do, I am going to be miserable. I'm the best Dustin Bates on the planet, but that's all I can be. I can't be, you are the best you in the universe. You can't be, so we, we try to run in other people's lanes and try to run in other people's identities and we're frustrated, but instead we've got to find our own personal pattern, our own culture, and we've got to stick to it and we've got to run in our lane. I, I remember uh, years ago when we were talking about hiring uh, my brother and uh, Pastor Steve is the one that told me to hire him and, uh, and, and so he's like, man, you need to hire Ryan, you need to get him out here and uh, I said, well, you know, what do you think? Why, why do you think we need to hire him? And he said, when I was talking to him, he said, I've never met someone who was gifted to be a number two guy and also knew it and was okay with it. He said, that's a guy that you need to have on your team. Because Ryan understands what his gift mix is, what his passions are, and he's comfortable in that lane. If I try to be in his lane or he tries to be in my lane, we are both going to fail miserably. We've got to be okay or we've got to be comfortable in the lane that we have. What brings, makes him so valuable is he understands, he accepts, and he thrives in the lane that he is. He's the best Ryan Bates on the planet. You're the best you in the universe. You are the best you on the planet. I found this out about the anointing is that the anointing, the anointing is a super spiritual word for God's power, God's supernatural power on my natural ability. That's the anointing. So I, I can do things in my natural ability. God's supernatural power is his anointing on me. And I found this out about the anointing. The anointing only falls on authenticity. It only falls on authenticity. Which means that the anointing doesn't, doesn't fall on the version of me that I try to be. The anointing only falls on the version I'm destined to be. The, the, the anointing or God's supernatural power does not come on the fake version of me. 
It only comes on the real version of me. So some of us, we're attempting to follow God in a lane that is not ours, in an identity that is not ours, and we're frustrated that we don't have God's supernatural power or ability in it, but if we would get back into our lane, we would find God's supernatural power on our natural ability, and we would see things begin to progress. The anointing falls on authenticity. In 1 Samuel chapter 16 is, is a story of David, and he's about to be anointed king. Now, he doesn't know he's about to be anointed king. David is out tending the sheep, all right? And isn't this how God works a lot of times? Is like he'll send you out doing something that like has nowhere, like has no uh, appearance of your assignment, no appearance of what God spoke to you. I mean, he's a king, but he's tending sheep. He has a king inside of him, but he's tending sheep. Now, that, that's a difficult thing when you know you're something more than what you're in right now. That, that's a difficult place to be, to know that there's a call in you that doesn't fit the situation you're in. And this is where David's at. David is in this situation, and he's just tending sheep. And we learn that, that, that he learned how to worship, and he learned how to war. The Bible says he killed a lion, and he killed a bear out in the fields to protect the sheep. Nobody knew about it. Nobody saw it. He's just out there doing what he does. And when, when, when Samuel comes to anoint the next king, he shows up, and he comes to Jesse, and he says, Jesse, where are your sons? And he lines up the seven sons, and, and, and uh, Samuel goes to pour the horn of oil. Now, this is how it worked in the Old Testament. The prophets would have a horn, and supernaturally, when a king was anointed, they would pour the horn, and the one that the oil came out on was the next king. So it's a supernatural thing. It's not like he collected all this oil and then poured it on the right guy. It was a supernatural act where he would pour the horn, and if the oil came out, that's who God was anointing. So he went down the line of Jesse's sons. And it wasn't the firstborn son. It wasn't the secondborn son. It wasn't the thirdborn son, the fourthborn son, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh. And this is where we get the scripture that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart because Samuel went to the strongest, the best looking, the, the most qualified, but the oil didn't flow. But then David, who's out in the field, Jesse goes, do you have any more? Or Samuel goes, do you have any more sons? And Jesse says, well, David, he's out in the field. You know what I'm going to tell you? It's a blessing to be overlooked. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a blessing to live in obscurity. It is a blessing. I'm telling you, it's a ble- nobody wants it, but it's a blessing because God hides the things that he loves and God treasures those things that have been held off and have been, uh, been hidden for secret missions. I mean, for su- supernatural purpose. And so Jesse says, oh, there's David. So he brings David in and Samuel reaches up the horn. He poured the oil and the oil poured. And he anointed him king. The anointing falls on authenticity. He was the one, so the oil flowed. You know what's wild about David? Is he got anointed king and then went back to the field. Now this is really big because we got to catch this. Is because we think sometimes we're anointed like, uh, Pastor, um, I've got a real big anointing on my life. Um, You know, if you want to take another job, I'll take over next Sunday. Like, I'm like super anointed, and, 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 and that's great, and, and, and I'm, I'm glad, and you know, some, some weeks, I'll give it to you. Um, this this actually one of those weeks, like, you know, if you really anoint it, like, you can, you can have it, um, but, you know, it's just authentic, right? Authentic culture, I'm just being, I'm just being real with you. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes, 
But sometimes we, we think that because we're anointed, that we should be in that position right now. But what God anoints you as does not diminish no matter how many days or years go by. If he said you're going to be a king, you're going to be a king. So David went back to where he was and was faithful. Some people get anointed and then they stop serving, they stop worshiping, they stop warring. Uh, they're just like, well, I've done, I've done my due diligence, pastor. You know, I've spent my time serving. I, I don't, front line's not for me. Serving's not for me. I heard a buddy of mine said, if you're too big to serve, then you're too small to lead. It's like, that's the, that's the truth. See, David got anointed, and then he went back to what he already did. And I'm just going to tell some, I don't know who I'm talking to, but somebody's been discouraged because you felt like you got anointed, but you went back to what you were doing already. And I'm just going to tell you, God's preparing you. God is, God's hitting you. He's preparing you for the assignment that you have in your life. I'm going to tell you this about you. People can imitate you, but no one can duplicate you. you you're you. And we need you. We need your gift mix. We need your unique personality. We need your independence. We need your anointing. We need what you have. Because Church 1132 is not about having a bunch of clones. Church 1132 is about your individual gifting coming in unity with the mission, the vision of the house. And that's where we really move forward. You can't try to be me. I can't try to be you. You've got to be you. And when you're you, you're the best you you can be. And the supernatural power of God falls on that authentic version of you. But here is the problem. Is when it comes to church, it is the most unauthentic place that you can go to. Is, is, that, is that not the truth? You, you come to church. You know what I'm talking about. We talk about this all the time. It's like, how, y'all, how are you, brother? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I, you could be dying on the inside. And we smile and tell people we're good. And then sometimes even we leave church and we walk away thinking, I can't believe that they don't know what I'm going through. But we haven't told them. We know what we're going through because it's real to us, but we haven't communicated it. We haven't, we haven't told anybody about it. It's like, oh, man, another, another church that doesn't know what I'm going through. Did you know that if you don't say anything? No, I mean, I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just speak to, I'll just speak to, let me just speak to the wives in here for a second. Um, as husbands, we don't know what you're feeling unless you tell us. I knew, why? It's getting rowdy in this Pentecostal church. It's like, you know, sometimes it's like, I got to like guess. Like, is, to, is, is, it, is, it, is it this? Is it that? We, we need to know. You know what? We kind of do this sometimes in our spiritual lives is we never communicate what we need. And we never communicate how we really are. And there's competition that happens even within the body to try to be okay or to try to look okay or to try to keep up with each other. And I'm going to tell you, it flies in the face of an authentic culture. And an authentic culture doesn't only liberate you. It also sets people free around you. When people begin to be vulnerable, when people begin to be transparent, that authenticity is contagious and it sets people free because I cannot relate with your perfection. I can only relate with your failure. If you're perfect, I can't relate with you because I'm not perfect. So we have people that come into our church and they feel like you all are perfect. And we laugh because we're like, well, we know we're not perfect. But, but, but you look like you're perfect because all that we see is your social media. 
And all the social media is his highlights. It doesn't tell stories. And so you can get an image of something and you think, wow, Church 1132 is this. The people at Church 1132 are this. The interns are this. But they're pictures. And we don't know the story that's behind the pictures. But what needs to happen is somebody needs to break down the wall of pride and say, I'm going to be authentic and say, I, I, I'm not perfect. I've got a problem. I mess up. I, I went through some struggles. This happens in marriages all the time. Is marriage is like, oh, yeah, we're good. We're good. Yeah, we're good, Pastor. We're good. You're not good. You, you need help. You need some counseling. You, you don't need to sleep in the same room. You need some counseling. You, you need to talk to someone. Is, it, is this all right? Y'all all right? It's like a couple people running out. Uh, this is deeper, okay? I just, I'm just like talking to you. This is like how we talk to the interns, all right? So some of you say, we want an adult internship. Here you go. I'm talking to you like the intern. It's just, just cut it. Just shoot it straight. Uh, there's some elements of, of authentic culture that I want to talk about because I think this will help us break it down. The, the, the first element I want to talk about is an authentic culture is vulnerable. Nope, nobody really likes to be vulnerable, but vulnerable is an element of an authentic culture, and if you can't be vulnerable, you can't be authentic. You, I talk to people all the time that, that say, Pastor, it's, it's really hard to be vulnerable because I've been vulnerable before and I've been hurt. You ever heard this before? Can, can I just tell you, this is life. People are going to hurt us. But it's no excuse to not be vulnerable again because nobody wants to live a, a life that is behind a facade or behind a mask, you will die behind that mask. You will die behind that facade. So you have to be, and this is one of the marks of an authentic culture, is there's vulnerability. People are vulnerable. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says this, Therefore, confess your sins to, can anybody see that? To God. No. No. To each other. To each other and pray for each other. Let me just ask this question. When's the last time you confessed your sin to someone else? Like, like you said, you literally, you literally went to someone that you respect and said, I just want you to know, I need to confess, I have sinned. I mean, that's heavy. It's like, well, Pastor, I don't know if I've sinned. I mean, I'm a little compromised maybe, but my goodness, sin, such a heavy word. Sin, the actual word sin means missing the mark. So let me just ask you, have you confessed to someone that you're in relationship with lately that you've missed the mark? See, you can get in a rhythm of vulnerability where you get in a rhythm of confessing where it's not such a big deal. But if you never do it, it becomes like absolutely the biggest thing you ever do in your life. It's like, mm, I, I may have, I possibly, they caused me to sin. I mean, it's like so hard to admit, but you can get in a rhythm when you begin to be vulnerable of just being able to see, yeah, I don't always do it right. I miss the mark. I, I mess up. I, I shared, I think a couple Sundays ago about Jamie and I, we were in this discussion. I just totally responded the wrong way. And it's like I had to go back to her and say, I'm so sorry for being so defensive and not just listening to you. That, I'm just going to, I'll just say how that is sin. Because you know what kept me from giving her the understanding that she needed? Pride. Pride. Did you just say pride? 
<laughs> Talk about authentic culture. She's offered it up right there of pride. <laughs> I, love, I, love you, I love you too. Uh, thank you for helping me on that. that that's what it was. It, it was. it was pride, and she agrees. Um, <laughs> and I had to just go back and say, I've sinned. I've sinned. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. There is power in praying for one another when we have missed the mark. I I know this is like super spiritual, but this is like, we're talking about, we're in a series on Sundays right now about the word of God, about eating the scroll, about actually living by the word of God, which means I should probably give this some merit. I should look at the word of God and I should try to apply it to my life, which means next time I miss the mark, I need to find somebody I trust. I need to find somebody that I, that I value in relationship and I just need to tell them, hey, I missed the mark. Will you pray for me? And you pray and believe that God's healing you and maybe the reason that we're never healed is we never confess to each other. You confess your sins to God to be forgiven, but you confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. Forgiveness comes from God, but this text says healing comes from each other. So an authentic culture has to be vulnerable. This is how we say it uh, in, in, in our staff, is we call it a hot environment. To be vulnerable, you've got to live in a hot environment. H is honest. O, open. T, transparent. And so sometimes we'll be in staff meeting, we're like, all right, it's about to get hot in here. It's about to get very honest, it's about to get very open, and it's about to be very transparent. If you want to live a vulnerable life, you've got to have a hot environment where you have people in your life that are able to be honest with you, open with you, transparent. And our aim is to build a culture in our church of authenticity where people can be honest where people can be open. We were ministering to a couple today, Jamie and I, we were ministering to a couple and they had made some major mistakes and, and uh, they're walking and they were able to be honest about what they were going through. And I'm just gonna tell you that what they encountered was not judgment, was not condemnation, but was grace, was love, was forgiveness and prayer. And we prayed. They confessed. We prayed. And we're believing that they're going to be healed. Being authentic both liberates us and touches and inspires those around us. The second element of of an authentic culture is, you're going to like this one, is confrontive. Confrontive. This is an element of an authentic culture. Now, this is what we want to have a loving culture. Let's just let, let it be all love. We just love everybody. We love, 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 love. Let me tell you what love does. Love speaks the truth, which is confrontation. Love loves people enough to not let them get in the accident they're heading towards, but they're actually going to speak to them and say, watch out for what's coming. That is a loving culture. Now, you have to do it out of love, and you have to have respect, the respect of someone to be able to speak into their lives, but we believe at Church 1132 in having a confrontive culture. What does that mean? That people are going to like, you know, start finding you on Sundays. You're in sin. No, no. But we're going to live life together and be in relationship where if you are in sin, that someone is connected with you and can say, if you keep on going this way, you are going to end up in disaster. 
somebody to throw up the red flag and say, we love you too much to let you drive your life off the cliff, but you're heading there. But you know what our culture does today? Oh man, they're going towards that cliff, but you know, this is like an accepting culture, so let's just let them, let's let them learn. Let's just, we love them. We love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. We loved them, we loved them, we loved them. But we let them, we let them crash and burn. We let them end up in destruction. And I've ta- this is probably the thing that we've talked about as a staff more than anything is confrontation. Because everybody wants to love everybody and be liked by everybody, but nobody wants to confront everything. Did you know that if you do not confront culture, you choose to accept what it gives you? So you can't be mad at what your culture has presented you if you refuse to confront it. Now, you have to confront it in love. you got to confront it in gentleness and in humility. But you have to con- confront culture. We must, be willing to, we must be willing to accept what we will not confront. Matthew 5, uh, verse 23 and 24, it says this. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. This is a very convicting scripture. What this is saying is what's more important than your worship is you being in right relationship. Well, I just, I just got to get in and worship. I get, he says, I would rather you leave your gift and go make it right with your brother than to come up here and be at odds with your brother. See, an authentic culture is confrontive enough that we say we're going to make things right. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to talk things out. We're going to, sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it's difficult. But we're going to talk things out. I want to tell you this will help you in your relationships. If you just decide we're going to talk things out. We're not going to leave things at odds. We're not going to leave things as they are. We're going to work it out. And when you come from a foundation of love, you can have a confrontive culture and see results without people feeling judged, without people feeling condemned, and you can actually have an authentic culture that you live in. Uh, it was years ago, we were driving as a family, and, and uh, I, was, I was young, and, and uh, we had a big, um, you, you remember those big vans, um, what do you call those vans, like a conversion van? You remember conversion vans? We had this like little uh, six-inch TV in it. It's cutting-edge technology. And... Uh, Nothing worked on it, but it was there, and uh, so we were in this van, and, and uh, I was in one of the, the, the side seats, and I'm laying there, and uh, we, we, were, uh, we, we witnessed an accident, and I was looking out the window, and this car was in the lane in front of us, and there was a semi next to it, and the car was in its blind spot, and the semi came over, did not see it, and went right over the top of this car and you heard it crunch and you heard screams and we were first on the scene and we're helping thank God. I mean, it's a miracle that no one got hurt. The car was destroyed. But the driver said this. He said, I never saw her. And this is where we have most of our church cultures. We have people getting in wrecks from things that they've never seen because they're not in relationship with people that can say, there's somebody in your blind spot. 
and we just haphazardly go through life and make directions and change things and, and change directions and change jobs and change relationships, not knowing that we're hurting people in the process. His truck was so big that he didn't even know that he hit her. Someone had to flag him down and tell him there was an accident because you know what? Sometimes we get so big in what we're doing that we don't even know that we're living, leaving a trail of destruction behind us. So you know what is very important? That you have someone that you can trust in your life that says, hey, don't get over yet. I'm not saying you can't get over, just don't get over yet because if you get over now, you're going to hit somebody. Everybody has blind spots and an authentic culture is what helps us identify blind spots. So let me ask you this question. Do you have anyone, anyone at all in your life that can tell you no? Well, that's for my kids, you know. I, I want to make sure they have that. No, sir, you. Do you have anyone in your life that can, well, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good for myself. I know, and you might have destroyed things that you had no idea because you didn't have, see, see this is what people say is, well, I, got, I don't have anybody wiser than me to help me. Do you know it doesn't take someone wiser to see a blind spot? You could, you could talk to a child that could say, can you watch that for me? Yeah, there's a car there. You don't, have, you don't have to have somebody with their theology degree that says, well, there's a type in shadow. It's like, no, in the original language, he might be in your direction. It's like, no, there's someone there. You can take a child. Did you know that coaches can't do what athletes can do, but athletes still have coaches? So they have someone telling them what to do that can't even do what they can do. LeBron's coach cannot do what he can do, but he has a coach? a personal trainer, and he pays him? And that guy can't even dunk? I mean, it's like Steph Curry's personal trainer cannot shoot threes like Steph Curry, but he has permission to adjust his, adjust his form and say, hey, tuck your elbow in there. It's like, you can't shoot? Why are you talking to me? That's what Christians do. It's like, they're not, you're not, we sound like kids a lot of times. You're not my dad. It's like, who can tell you no? Who can tell you no? Well, I don't trust anybody. And that is why you are on the island you're on. You have to have somebody in your life that can say, you know what, I don't think that's wise to make that decision. I think you should hold off. Uh, it was years ago, I was, I was buying a car. I tell this story a lot, but I, it was years ago, I was buying a car, and um, I, I made the mistake of asking advice from one of those people that could tell me no, and uh, Pastor Lauren sneezing, and, um, and I said, hey, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to buy this new car, and, and uh, I just wanted to, you know, get your advice, and I got this much saved, and it's, it's going to be amazing. I've been waiting a while, and uh, he goes, yeah, don't buy it. <laughs> and I said, no, no, you don't understand, like, I'm, I'm probably going to buy it. Like, I, I just wanted to kind of run it by you. And uh, he's like, I don't think it's wise for where you are in your family, you know, whatever. Jamie was working. She's making great money. I'm like, man, what are, you, what are you talking about? I bought the car. Didn't listen. I bought the car. And it was maybe one month or two months later that Jamie's company started kind of turn the, turn the wrong way, and she quit. So then we relied on my income, which is a little bit different than corporate America. And... Um, <laughs> All of a sudden, that was gone, and I was stuck with this car that somebody had told me not to change lanes into, but I didn't listen. I'm, do you know how much strife we could save ourselves if we would just have somebody check our blind spot? 
Do you have anyone in your life that can tell you no? Let me ask you this. Do you have anyone in your life that just has permission to check your blind spot? Well, they haven't served God as long as I have. No, I asked if they had permission to check your blind spot. Do you have anybody? Yeah, I remember that there's one time I was, I was early in leadership, and, and I made a lot of mistakes, and I was very passionate, imagine that, and, and, uh, and I was just, like, running over people and, and just making all kinds of mistakes. And finally, like, we were in the leadership meeting one day, and I was talking with my sister who was staffing with us, my older sister, and, and uh, I'm like, hey, if I'm a jerk, you just need to tell me I'm a jerk. And she's like, you're, you're, you're a jerk. I'm like, what? She's like, you're, 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 you're a jerk. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, got some changes to make. I mean, I didn't really see this conversation going that way, but because you never expect someone to actually tell you. But you know what? It illuminated something to me. I didn't mean to be a jerk, but I came across like I was a jerk. Did you know that it's not your heart? It's what is perceived that people judge? I can't judge your heart. I can only judge your facial expressions. I can't judge your heart. I can only judge your tone. I can't see your heart. I can only read your Facebook post. I can't. Like, how? I'm not God. I can't read your heart. So we've got to communicate, and we've got to love each other enough to confront and to have community and relationship, and then we have to have the humility to say, you know what? You have the opportunity to speak into my life. I have three people that have the, the privilege for them, I guess, or the duty, I don't know, to speak into my life. I've told Pastor Steve, I've told Pastor Lawrence, I've told Pastor Benny, if you ever see anything in my life, you have the opportunity. You, my life is open. The doors of my heart are open, and life is open to you. Pastor Lawrence, I will not disobey ever again. And, um, like, you, I need you to be able to tell me no. And they brought things to me at different times. They, they brought things. Pastor Benny, just about six months ago, he was talking to me about something. He said, hey, I want you to watch this. Watch out for that. And I'm like, it never feels good to not be able to change lanes when you want to change lanes because you want to do it because you want to do it. But when someone tells you to wait, they're not telling you no. They just told you to wait. And waiting is hard. But you know what? Isn't that kind of like the Christian life? To live submitted? To live under authority? To live in humility. It kind of sounds like the Bible. Uh, let me give you the last um, element of our culture is it's unified. An element of authentic culture is vulnerable, it's confrontive, and it's unified. Mark chapter 3, verse 24 and 25 says this. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. So what does unity have to do with authenticity? Unity is me being real with who I am. It's being true. When I have two visions, that is called division. And a house that is divided cannot stand. But many of us, because we have not found our own lane and we have not found our own identity, we live in a two or a divided world where we're this person here and we're this person here. We're this guy at work 
and we're this guy with our single buddies, and we're this guy in the office, and we're this guy at church on Sunday morning. That is a divided house, and you can't stand that way. That's why an authentic culture is not hypocritical. It is the same you that I see here is the same you that I see out to eat, and the same you that I see on the weekend, and the same you that I see when no one's watching. That's that's called authenticity. And you know what? That's the biggest rub against the church from non-believers is that the church is full of hypocrisy. It's full of hypocrites. It's full of people who are not authentic. But if we would just own our weaknesses, the world would be more forgiving of us and just say, we're not perfect, we're just doing our best. Because Christianity is more about direction than it is perfection. We have made it about perfection, but it's about direction. It is about, I'm doing the best that I can. If you look for me to be a perfect leader, you're not going to last in this church real long at all. I had to apologize to my staff yesterday. I said, hey, you know what? I just haven't been a good leader in this specific area. I need to get better right here. If you're looking for your leaders or your pastors to be perfect, you got to look somewhere else because it's not here. Because we're human, just like you. We make mistakes. But you know what is really powerful is when we can be authentic, when we can be vulnerable. People that came to the marriage conference said that the number one thing that they took away that ministered to them was the vulnerability. Pastor Stephen Lisa shared, they opened their hearts before us and they were transparent about things they were walking through. And people said, that ministered to me more than anything else because authenticity sets us free because we can relate with authenticity. So it's important for us to have a passionate culture as a church, but passion culture without authenticity leaves us void. We have to have authenticity that says we are who we are. I joke about this all the time. It's like when I first first moved here, people came up to me and said, hey, you know, if you ever need someone to just like let your hair down with, you know, like let me know. I'm like, okay. Well, what are we going to do? Like, like, and but they were serious. Like they really thought like, just in case I needed an outlet where I could just, like, swear and, and do, do all this stuff. Like, I don't have a bunch of swear words bottled up in me. I, I, I am who I am. This is, if, if, if I'm not, I shouldn't be up here. That, that's just, that, that doesn't make sense. And we've accepted this. And, and, and I'm dealing with, with churches in a lot of different places, a lot of different pastors that are dealing with some of this. It's like, well, you know, the pressures are so touch. I got to have a place that I can just totally just be me. If being totally you and just loose you is different than what you're asking on the pulpit, then that, my friend, is called hypocrisy. I'm not asking for perfection. I'm saying let's just be real with who we are. We have issues. We make mistakes. And if the, the sooner that we can be open with that and honest with that, then we can get better. I get people, men, all the time that ask me, hey, Pastor, let's go, let's, let's go out. Like, I, I just got to gotta be real with you about some stuff. And then we go out, and then, like, the ego thing happens where it's like, well, I don't know if I really want to be honest about this. And so how you doing, man? What's going on? Like, what's the serious thing that you need to talk about? How, how about the calves? It's like, why are we here? Why are we here? You don't need to impress me. You, you don't need to impress Pastor Steve. Like, why are we? Drop the wall and let's just deal with business. I got it too. I got issues. I got dysfunction. I got garbage. Let's just drop it. See, that's the church that we want to build. That's the culture that we want to have, that, that, it's, that it's authentic, that it's just, it's real, that people don't feel judgment. They feel grace because everybody's going to make mistakes. I coined this motto, and I'm taking it as my own. Pastor Steve taught me. He said, I give much grace 
because I need much grace. And I found the people that can't give grace, they're the ones that are going to need it someday. And you know what? You reap what you sow. And if you can give people grace, when you stumble, people give you grace. I want to close with this story. And, um, and, and I'll, let me give you this quote first. A person who pretends to be anyone other than him or herself will not be able to enjoy genuine, authentic relationships. But I, I want to close with this story to kind of just wrap this up. And it's in, in the book of 1 Samuel, and uh, somebody can come to the keys. And um, we told, told everybody last week, that's the universal uh, symbol for shut up. Um, someone comes to the keys, it's like, okay, we're winding down. It also makes it feel spiritual. First um, Samuel chapter 17, and I'm, I'm just going to read to you just real quick. I'm going to just read the whole passage so you get this, this picture. First Samuel chapter 17, talking about David again, verse 32, says, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off his sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. David's like, just, he's, he's, he's ready to go. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine, takes it personal, uh, will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go then, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put his coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and, and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. I want to talk to you about authenticity. And as we wind down, this story is like the perfect picture of, of, of authenticity. Because David says, oh, no one there to fight him? I'll fight him. I'll kill the lion. I'll kill the bear. I'll, I'll, I'll kill that giant. Saul's like, uh, really? Okay. Like, have at it. He said, but first, let me put on you what worked for me. See, this, they say the seven words of a dying church are, we've never done it that way before. Oh, you're a new church. Let me put on what we've done before. Let me just put on what works for me. Let me, you're you. And you've got a unique set of armor that God has specifically for you. And let me just take it a step further. If you operate in God's strength, you don't need the armor that the world gives. And some of us have been dressing up our dysfunction and dressing up our weakness, trying to cover things that we should have exposed because this is what the world says. Cover all your weaknesses. Cover all your mistakes. Cover everything that would disqualify you. Cover it up. Saul tried to cover up David's weakness, but David wasn't used to it. He said he tried to walk, but he just wasn't used to it because you'll never feel comfortable in somebody else's skin. You'll never feel somebody comfortable in somebody else's armor. You'll never feel comfortable in somebody else's call. So David says, I cannot use this. i got to take it off. So what does he do? He uncovers what Saul tried to cover. He said, I'll go into battle 
exposed because it's not me fighting this battle anyways. It, it, does it make sense to anybody? This is what, this is what the world teaches. It's like, oh, wow, you're, you're pretty banged up. Let, let's just let's cover you here. Let's cover you here. Let's cover you. Okay, now, get out there. See what you can do. And we, like, are going out, and we don't fit, and we all look silly and klutzy, and, and, and it, just, it just doesn't work because we actually think that we can win this thing in our own strength. But when David went out exposed and Goliath saw he was a boy, Goliath scoffed at him. He made fun of him. He made fun of his God. And then David started trash talking. He's like, oh, oh, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. By the God that called me, the same God that empowered me to strike down the lion and the bears, the same God that will empower me to take you out today. And he starts, he starts slinging his little sling See, some of you think your call is just so little. It's like, I got this. I, I, want, I want her armor. I got this. Like, what this little rock going to do? God said, it's not about what you have or what you don't have. It's what I've given you. And if you just use what's in your hand, I'll fight the battle for you. Because my Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. My Bible says, it is in my weakness that I am made strong. It is not in my armor. It is not in my ability to cover all of my weaknesses. It is in my ability to expose my weaknesses and to be like Paul and say, I can boast in my weaknesses because it's not me that fights this battle. But it's the God that is in me. And I'll boast all the more about what I'm bad at. Because in my weakness, he is made strong. Do you know what characterizes an authentic church? Is people that don't put on armor, but they take it off. See, when we come into worship, everyone's got their best clothes and best, you know, best this and best that. And talking about, oh, man, let me tell you about testimonies of the week and all, all this. And we're hurt and we're broken and we're covering our insecurity. But an authentic culture comes in, unstraps the armor of your dad, unstraps the armor of your leader, and unstraps the armor of our culture, and comes exposed just with the only thing that you've ever had, you and what you're good at. God says, I'll take it. That's all I need. It's not even, it wasn't even about the sling. If David would have had a machine gun, he would have done it with a machine gun. If he would have had a stick, he would have done it with a stick. It wasn't about what he had. It was about David saying, I'll do it with what I have. See, God will take whatever you have. You could have a scrap. You could have a piece of wood. You could have a sling. You could have a sword. It doesn't matter what you have. God will use what you have if you're just obedient to step into the battle. And that, my friend, is what an authentic culture is. Strip the armor. Strip the pretense. Strip the facade. I may need some help. I may have some weaknesses. But in my weakness, he is made strong. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 9 and 10 is that scripture. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. His power rests on him because he boasts in his weaknesses. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.